Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. I'm this week's host, John Horner-Eibler. Wherever you're listening to us, uh, I'm, I'm just really glad you're here, and I, I hope you enjoy this week's conversation. Uh, when I invited this week's guest, what I was thinking was, I, I really enjoy talking to people who, who love what they do, are good at what they do, and usually uh, people who don't do uh, anything uh, similar to what I do, because I like learning about new stuff, but at least where I can kind of see uh, a place where the, the fields crisscross. So, for example, as a pastor, I listen to a lot of people tell their life stories, and when we preach, for example, we, we use a lot of stories. Uh, a lot of, of the faith tradition is storytelling and story hearing. Uh, this week's guest is John Ehlers. John, welcome to Belief Beat. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Good to have you. So John is a professional photographer, and uh, and and one of the things that I think he's going to talk about, and one of the things that you can just tell when you look at his pictures, is John's a storyteller, and he doesn't use his voice to do it. Uh, he uses his his camera and and how he designs his shots, for lack of a better, for my lay way of describing that. Uh, he he can use the visual medium to tell a story, and I just find that fascinating. And it's, it's kind of endless because just as human stories are endless, what we see around us is, is really endless. And there are so many important and fun and sometimes tragic stories to tell. And I think John has had an opportunity over the course of his career to tell a lot of different types of stories. Uh, so there, I, I, I had sent John some questions in advance about this and uh, like I gave him 12 questions and I had probably another 24 uh, so we're, we're not even going to scratch the surface as always. But, John, we got to start someplace. Uh, so I think of photography as, as very much being a science, all of the physics of the light. Uh, it's also very much uh, an art. Maybe let's start with the science part of it. Uh, what part of that really captures your like interest or attention as a photographer? Well, that, that's really interesting. Um, science, I think, is on a number of different levels. First of all, the basic science of a camera, it sounds funny, but it hasn't changed much in the last 150 years. A camera is basically something that uses a lens to focus an image on a media that's light sensitive. That used to be glass 150 years ago, then it was tin plates, wow. then for a long time it was film, and now it's a digital chip. But the function is essentially the same. The only change in technology has been what records the image. Uh, this, the, the, part of, the, the part of photography to me that's, that stands out the most as science is the fact that you're recording in slivers of time, sometimes as short as a 500th of a second, a moment in something, some story, that can go by so fast that if you happen to blink or look away, you might not even see that moment. And yet you're capturing those slivers of time and recording them, you know, almost permanently. Right. Case in point, we could look at pictures from a baseball game in the 1930s and, and watch a picture of a, you know, a famous golden era baseball player sliding into third. Um, you can see pictures from the Civil War, as tragic as some of them are, because individual moments or individual things were recorded, and those kind of last forever as long as the mm -hmm. media mm -hmm. survives. Um, the third area of science that interests me in photography is color. And that has to do with modern photography than anything back in the black and white era. Color is fascinating because it exists 
in all different intensities and all different, in, well, for lack of a better way to say it, all different parts of the spectrum. When you see nice early morning or nice late afternoon light and it appears warm to you and, and you know, has that sort of warm orangey glow, that's actually because the light you're seeing is in the 2700 degree range of the Kelvin scale. Oh, yeah, I knew that. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> well, no, but in other words, it's a warm colored light. As uh, the sun okay. gets higher in the middle of the day, the light actually gets a lot colder and a lot bluer. If you're taking a picture in a room that has window light and fluorescent light and incandescent lights on pictures, you have three different color sources. And the modern digital cameras do a really good job of blending that. But back in the day when you were shooting on film, you had to choose one of those lights that was going to be your main color and then filter for all the rest of it to make all your light sources the same color. Without getting too deep into that, if I took a picture of you in a fluorescently lit room and a fluorescent light tends to be greenish, Okay. I, there's technical reasons, yeah, but yeah. it tends to be green. If I filter out the light that's too green, the window light coming from behind you is going to look like a pink spotlight. Ah, okay. So that science of understanding color and then assessing it when you're taking photos is a really... There are textbooks printed on just that mm -hmm. topic. It's very mm -hmm. interesting. And did you study... I mean, did you real specifically study the science as, as at, I, at some point in your career? As, as I got deeper into photography, I, the, the, initially when I started shooting for newspapers back in the late 70s, almost everything was black and white. So your main interest was in understanding the tonal range of black and white photography. As things progressed into more color photography, I got very interested mm -hmm. in, you know, first of all, simply so I made my work better. But then you start to ask yourself, well, why? Why is this working? Why isn't this yeah, working? Yeah. And, and it just forced the study, which I liked. Yeah, cool. Well, we can we can delve into that more, but let, let's uh, go back to my original question and just do the, uh, how about the art part of it? What part of kind of the artistic creation captures your imagination? For me, there are two <clears throat> really important things that, that comprise the art of photography. The first is composition realizing that by choosing not only what to photograph, but how you move that within the frame can turn an image that maybe is just a recording of something into an image that's very graphically interesting. Uh, no different than, and I'm going to make a couple comparisons here, the art of photography is not all that much different in terms of observation from the art of painting. The reason I say that is, the, the two most important things in painting are obviously composition, mm -hmm. a painting's composed, but the, the single most important one is light. Understanding where light's coming from, realizing that side light can create depth and texture on something, frontal light creates, you know, a flat look, light from above creates its own set of shadows and its own dimension. So the art of photography to me is being able to go into a situation and look at the light and recognize where it's coming from and how you can utilize that light to do the most for your image. Whether it's, you know, a flattering look at someone's face in a portrait or whether it's photographing a, a craggy rock formation that lit from the front would look all one color and lit from the side, the dimension of the side light would actually give it depth and texture. And ironically enough, those are a lot of the same considerations that painters, you know, cons 
a, a good painter, you can see they observe light. Their paintings, you know, there's a realism or a, you know, painters that are realistic painters anyway. There's You can see where the light was coming from in their mind mm -hmm. when they painted the image. There's also kind of a funny joke about that. Uh, the main difference between classic painters and photographers is that you can have a group of painters get together for 10 minutes and not once will they discuss brushes. I don't know any photographers <laughs> that don't eventually get to the equipment. Get to, get to their stuff, get to their gear. Uh, well, uh, so tell us about some of the places you, you've worked. Uh, either, either freelancing, uh, long-term connection. Uh, well, um, okay, I started, um, I mean, I, I've been interested in photography since I was a little kid. I used to take all of our family pictures when we would go on family trips and everything. My dad just handed me the camera and said, go. So, um, and, and what type of camera were you using at that ah, point, John? A Kodak <laughs> Duoflex that took, remember the old roll film of paper backing? Yeah. Learning to load that. It, learning wow. to load that was an experience. Uh, yeah, just an old Kodak with uh, 620 film. You know, it, uh, by the time I got to high school, I was interested enough that I wound up uh, eventually being the photo editor of our high school newspaper. Ah, okay. Uh, did the same thing for Marquette's yearbook when I was in college. Uh, so basically did it all through school. In the late 70s, while I was still in school, I started shooting for a weekly newspaper. And then... Um, and this is in the Milwaukee area, this right? is I mean, Milwaukee, obviously, because yeah, Marquette. Yeah, suburban okay. weeklies. And then, yeah. um, and then eventually I worked for the Journal and Sentinel and the Waukesha Freeman, which are both dailies. Uh, and for about a dozen years was a freelance photographer for Associated Press and for UPI. And then left all of that behind to take a corporate photography job at Quad Graphics and worked there about 20 years. And now I'm uh, semi-retired and freelancing, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of corporate work, um, some stuff that's fun. Uh, interestingly enough, the reason Quad worked out is that at the time, uh, Harry wanted someone who would do their corporate photography in a journalistic style. So it was a very good fit. It wasn't yeah. just doing grip and grins. It was doing event photography, but in a corporate setting. Can we go back to Journal Sentinel? Yes, yeah. Um, so now you were working with Journal Sentinel simultaneous to also doing the, like the AP but work? The, the wire service work was all as a, well, in the wire service industry, they call it a stringer. Basically, most of the states have one state editor or photographer, okay. and then he builds a network at the member newspapers in the state of other photographers that feed images into that network. And I did that both when I was working at the Journal Sentinel and when I worked at the Freeman. I okay. did that for okay. about 12 years. Uh, so I presume the newspapers would assign you to various events, or would you kind of, was part of it you finding interesting events? No, usually you worked off an assignment sheet. When I worked at the Journal Sentinel, you went in at the start of your shift and the desk editor would hand you a list of four assignments that you had to shoot that day, four or five, and then at the end of that would be allowed enough darkroom time for you to process everything and send it to the news desk. Uh, the only time you actually went out and, and, and drove image content on your own was on a slow news day. They had a concept called wild art. They would say, we don't have anything for page three, go out and find us a picture. And at that point, you'd go to local parks, go to the lakefront, go someplace where you knew something was happening, 
and try and make, you know, even construction, you know, of a new building and just try and make interesting feature pictures. The irony about that and the kind of sad thing is that in today's world, you can no longer take pictures of kids in parks. Uh, and, uh, yeah. you know, now, and, and understandably so, we were very careful back then. In fact, if ever we photographed anyone who's obviously underage and a parent wasn't around, we would give them our newspaper business card and say, please give this to your mother or father and tell them this is the person who took your picture. But now you can't even, just out of courtesy, we, right, that's right. not really done anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, say a little, uh, so at a place like Quad, you would cover corporate events. Uh, would, would they, did you do any of the work for what they were producing ever, or you were so, solely on their corporate side of things? Most of the work I did was their corporate side. I was part of one project that involved National Geographic about the history of the magazine. It wasn't something that actually appeared in the magazine, but it was one of their corporate publications. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, frequently it was doing work for clients of Quad who had their work being produced at Quad and wanted a record of it for their own annual okay. report. Yep. Uh, I did a lot of Quad's annual report work. Um, and they, when I worked there, I don't work there now, obviously, so I don't know what it's like now, but when I worked there, they were a very event-driven company. They had a lot of employee events, um, family art day. They had, uh, you know, um, the corporate picnics, um, and, and all of that needed to be recorded. So, yep. So you did going back to, uh, your newspaper days. Uh, did you kind of do it all like sports, uh, public meetings, disasters. Well, one of the best things about working for the newspaper is that you wound up doing everything. You, you did. Could, okay. You could be at city hall in the morning and covering a football or a basketball game, you know, that afternoon, or you could be at a house fire in the afternoon and then wind up, you know, covering a soccer game at six o'clock. Uh, you frequently, you know, went to work. If you went to work in a shirt and tie, you had clothes that you could sit on a basketball court on in your back seat or the other way around. If you covered sports, yeah. you always kept the shirt and tie in the car because you never knew when your anticipated schedule might change. So I, I loved it because it was something different every day. That was one of the best parts about it. Wow. And of like all of that stuff, was there anything that, that was particularly difficult uh, from a professional standpoint, either, either emotionally or artistically? That's actually a very, very good question. Uh, one of the reasons I, I, as much as I miss working in the news business, one of the things that I had a hard time with personally just in terms of, of my own thoughts, is when you were there covering an event that involved personal tragedy for other people. Uh, not that you would ever, you know, put a camera in someone's face that was in the middle of something dangerous or anything like that. A, a good example that always comes to mind for me is I remember one house fire I was covering and being with an earshot when the parents were told that their child in the ambulance had died. And as a parent, that's something that stays with you a long time. It's really hard to, uh, and, and that part of, that tragic part of Spot News, as much as it was a part of the job, I, I think you'd hear the same thing from maybe professional law enforcement or fire department people. Some of that's hard to put away and shelve, and that's the part of it I really don't miss. Mm -hmm. what, 
what part of photography in contrast to that then I guess really gives you life. Now, I mean, my favorite thing now is I, I really enjoy wildlife and nature photography. Ah, okay. um, it, you know, it combines you challenging different skill sets, both in terms of photographic, technical things, and your patience. The single best tool in nature photography is patience because, you know, the best way to do it is to spend time studying and studying behavior. And then once you've studied it enough, then you're ready to photograph it. But that all takes time. The bonus is that's time spent next to a pond or out in the woods. And there are worse places to spend time. Well, true, true. But that's kind of how you approach it. I mean, if you're looking for waterfall, you'll literally just kind of park yourself by a body of water and watch for a while. Exactly. Some of the best, uh, some of my favorites in recent years, I've, I've privileged to photograph some migrating loons that happened to come through right here in Brookfield. And I remember I got the pictures I wanted about an hour and 20 minutes after I got there. Wow. Uh, so. Which was, I, I presume, pretty quick. I mean, in uh, comparison to what you thought would maybe be a multi-day. Relatively speaking, although most wildlife is not very coachable. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you have to be there and be ready to take it on their terms. When they appear. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking, so I would think this is true of anybody who's in a, a, a field where there's a lot of crisscross between professionals and uh, what I'd term myself an amateur. So, for example, cooking. Uh, you know, everybody has to cook. Everybody has some cooking equipment. Uh, some people know how to boil water. Some people are professional four-star chefs. Uh, everybody has a has a phone that they can take pictures with. Uh, lots of people take pictures. Uh, does it? What's it like being a professional photographer immersed in a world of images, many taken by amateurs who have no idea what they're doing? I mean, does that make you crazy, or or can you like turn off the professional side of you sometimes? You know, it, it doesn't make me crazy. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because, like, you automatically assess photography when you look at it. Uh, I happen to love mentoring, so I guess my favorite thing to do is find somebody that maybe is a frozen food photographer and help them get their photography to two-star star restaurant. <laughs> uh, and, and there are people who really want to do that. The other side of iPhone photography, I shouldn't type one brand, but the other side of cell phone photography is that uh, you really, to do it right, pay attention to a lot of the same things you do with a camera. The good cell phone photos still involve paying attention to the light and where it's coming from, paying attention to the color, composing your subject, all of those things. They may be easier on a, on a cell phone, but they were also easier with a point-and-shoot camera. And really, it's, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just an easier, more functional point-and-shoot. Mm -hmm. So it, it, I wouldn't say it drives me crazy. Um, I can only, I don't have tremendous patience if someone's not really interested in moving it ahead. I don't judge the right, work, right. but it's but, just, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Is there any photo that you can think of without embarrassing anyone too? I mean, where you just looked at it and you thought, 
What did they take that for? I, I will share one story about that, and, and, and without the name, it goes way back to when I was helping tutor a class when I was in college, and one of the people in the class came forward, and we were teaching them about tripods and keeping a camera steady. And this person commented that their skyline was completely motion blur. They had taken a picture of the Milwaukee skyline. And I asked them, were you locked on a tripod? And they said, absolutely, a heavy tripod. It was steady as a rock. And I said, well, then where was it? Well, I had it right firmly on the deck of the boat. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> so. Okay, but it was firm, John. It may have been pitching in five-foot swells, but it was firmly on the deck. Uh, how about you? Um, when you think of your collection of photos over the years, are, are there a couple that you especially value? This was actually my favorite question that you sent me because okay. I immediately zeroed in on two photos, one of which I took with my cell phone. Oh, uh, interesting. The interesting. most recent photo that I've taken that is probably my favorite picture I've taken in years occurred at O'Hare Airport about a year ago. My son-in-law, who's a major in the Army, had just returned from a 10-month deployment and was greeted by my daughter, his wife, and their one-year-old son in the terminal. And you don't see their faces, but they're hugging in a triangle, and it just worked. All of a sudden, I mean, I was walking around with the camera, and it was that same, like you're shooting a sporting event, and this great photo happens in front of you. All of a sudden... It was just an angle where you saw it, and, and both the emotion and the composition and everything all came together. And that photo, as, a, as an amateur, just a fun photo. I just was taking a picture with my cell phone like yep. anybody would, but that photo is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, professionally, there's also one that sticks in my mind and always will, and that was back in 1987. I was photographing a lot of Milwaukee Bucks basketball for AP back then. And uh, Dr. J, Julius Irving's career, came to an end in a playoff loss. The Sixers lost mm. to the Bucks in mm. Milwaukee to end their season in 87. And Dr. J's retirement had already been announced, and everyone knew this was his last game. And it was a little bit bittersweet that his last game wound up on a loss that took his team out of the playoffs. And when he was leaving the court at the end of the game, he was going straight off center court toward the middle of where the benches were. And all the other photographers piled around to get the shot of him looking as he came off the court. And I realized there were going to be 20 versions of that the next day. So I took my chances and I stayed on the end of the court with a long lens. And I followed where he thought he was to the crowd. And at the very last second as he got to the edge of the court, the crowd and the TV cameras parted enough so I saw him. And at that moment, he held up a ball to salute the crowd. Uh, and the look on his face told the entire story. You know, the, the career, the pride, uh, the melancholy, and all of that. Uh, and two frames, and then the crowd closed back up. It was proof that even though you're ready and know what you're doing, sometimes you still need just yeah. that little bit of good fortune. But that photo ran on the cover of the journal, on USA Today, and Sports Illustrated picked it up. Uh, and had it been him just looking at me, it would have just been one more of the crowd. Yeah. So I still have that photo, and that one just, that one's there more as a reminder to myself that, you know, don't let your ego get in the way, because sometimes luck will make your mm -hmm. picture more mm -hmm. than anything else. Well, or a mix. Or I mean, a obviously, mix, I mean, right. you, 
you thought ahead to, to know that that might be a thing, but you still needed the you moment. You still needed the moment. And you don't, you don't always get the moment, nope. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, probably got a dozen stories where it didn't happen. So. I suppose, I suppose. Uh, have you, now, this is totally off script, but I don't know why this popped into my head. I guess, uh, have, have you ever tried to shoot lightning? And, like, is that easy to do or is that hard to do? It seems like it would be hard to do. I don't know. It, it is hard Speaking to do. Speaking of moments. No, it's hard to do well. And I've seen some of the pictures in your office. So <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, yeah, I, I guess I that's where it that comes questions. from. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, it, it's a challenge. It needs a little bit of thinking ahead. Um, the first thought when people try and shoot lightning is just to capture a part of the sky with lightning in it. Uh, I haven't done a lot of it, but I've seen a lot of it that's been done really well. And the part of it that's done really well is when people think about what their foreground is. Uh, Whether yeah. you put some buildings or some trees. I've even seen really excellently done pictures of churches where, you know, like you have an old steeple and then lightning crossing, you know, part of the sky. Mm -hmm. But having some sort of establishing foreground. Okay. Okay. So lightning like, by itself lighting, is like kind of lightning law by itself. in a sense. Yeah. And it's also, you 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 know, you're... you're completely taking a chance because you don't know when it's going to happen. So you need a wide enough view of the sky that when it happens, you can capture it and then maybe crop that image a little bit to make it more what you want. Uh, it, it's very interesting to do. I haven't had enough time to do it. Uh, I also know not to do it on a roof with a metal tripod. But. Uh, <laughs> Good thinking, John. We want, you, we want you to stick around for a while a little bit yet. Uh, well, I'm sure you're not likely to do that, but... Uh, any part of the field, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, that, that you've not gotten to do that you would still like to do at some point? Um, you know, I, that, that's, that's a tough question. There are things that I didn't do a lot of that I would still like to do. Obviously, I love shooting sports. Uh, I've been lucky enough to shoot a few major league sports in playoffs. Um, never as much of that as I'd like. There's a certain challenge and and fun to shooting sports you love. I'm, I'm an absolute baseball fan. So, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, you know, I'd, I'd love to still be able to do that. Some of the stuff's a little harder to do. Basketball involves kneeling or sitting on a hardwood floor for three hours, and that was fun when I was 25. It probably <laughs> would not help my knees right now. Uh, I didn't get to do a lot of fashion. Fashion's an interesting... Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, the Journal used to do a lot of in-house fashion. They had a, excellent, a group of excellent photographers that were really good at it. If there was one thing I could go back and watch more, I'd love to sort of just watch those guys work because it was a, a whole different art. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a fascinating field in terms of getting both the product and the look and... Exactly, and the lighting. And working with the model, I presume, is and, can and, be challenging, or well, and and the timing. You know, yeah. again, you know, you can timing timing. Everybody thinks of timing uh, when it comes to sports or things like that. Timing is even just taking photos of someone speaking, and as their expressions change, and you know, their eyes may be a little wider, they may have a little bit of a wry smile, and those little fleeting things. You know, those happen with a model when you're working with a model too. And those little expressions that maybe can make a good shot a much better shot, right. you have to be ready. And, and uh, you know, again, I'm certainly no expert in that part of the field, but right. I'd, I'd love to watch it more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I've really, I mean, not so much modeling, but just watching, you know, now that we've kind of started doing regular 
uh, recordings of our worship services. I mean, just watching TV news people and their discipline in looking at the camera. Yes. Uh, I mean, so it's made me more appreciative of anybody who is purposefully on the other side of the camera and kind of the discipline it takes to do that correctly is... Oh. Without a doubt, in fact, the few times that I've worked in situations with models, uh, their work is a lot harder in front of the camera than my work is behind it. That goes without saying. Yeah. But I mean, kind of, I mean, really a partnership because I mean, exactly, you're you're working together, and well, you can't and, do it by yourself. No, and you can see if people, <clears throat> excuse me, you can see if people are relaxed in front of the mm. camera or not, and that's where a good working rapport comes in because you're going to get better facial expressions, better posture, everything with someone who's comfortable with the photographer. Yeah. So yeah. That, that comes into play too. Uh, so now, uh, I think some of the people who are listening would know this, but not all of them. So you have been just incredible in, in sharing your time and skill with, with Unity over the years. And so you've, a, a, a couple of the things you've really done a lot of is you've done, you've, you've, uh, uh, shot tons of events. You've shot really nice uh, seasonal views of the buildings. You shoot all of our confirmation class group pictures and then individual pictures. Uh, you shoot live things in worship. So, I mean, quite a quite a spectrum of, of things, even within just, you know, one like kind of congregation's life. Uh, tell us about some of the challenges that goes with that type of photography? Um, I think, you know, basically being prepared enough to be ready for whatever's going to happen. I, I joked with you recently that I'm probably eventually going to do a coffee table book of our vignettes. Uh, but, but seriously, I really enjoy telling our story. As a congregation, we have a unique group of people and we have a unique story to tell. And I see my role as recording that so that people who maybe don't know us that well or haven't been around us that long can take a look at the images and say, oh, I, I really like it. I never would have thought they did that. Or, you know, basically just, just recording our story, both recording it so it stays somewhere and recording it to help us introduce ourselves to yeah, people. Yeah. Well, John just politely alluded to something. So he, so we do these things called vignettes and worship that are kind of skits for, uh, instead of the sermon. And, uh, uh, it, we went a couple of years until you politely at some point asked for the script to the vignette, which duh, if it had occurred to us, so he's taken all these pictures, but he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And if he actually knew what was coming, maybe it would help him a little bit. Um, uh, uh how how much does knowing what's coming help, or or doesn't it help at some level? Actually, it, it does help. Um, just you know, not so much that I'm not going to react to what happens, regardless. <clears throat> but on the technical side, if I know that someone's coming in from the left side in a particular costume or is going to make a particular gesture. I can be ready with the camera for that to happen rather than potentially missing that little okay. moment. Okay. So it, right. it does help. How about another thing that I'm, I, I seriously, I'm not joking. I, I, I'm, I, I don't even know how you do it. So we'll have confirmation classes over the years that were up to, you know, 50 some kids. You'd take a lot of shots to get the shot, but 
none of them would have their eyes closed. Like, how is that even possible? Typically, if I take, and, and, and this is a good, it's a good question too, typically when I do the group shot of confirmation students, it will range from 30 to maybe mid-40s in terms of number of people in the group. I will take minimum probably 15 images. I guarantee you there's only one, maybe two with all the eyes open. That, that, so it really is kind of a it, it, it quantity is, thing. It, it's, a, it's a quantity thing, absolutely. And it's taking one or two so they get used to it because in the first one, the reaction's almost always going to be some blinks or some people not ready for mm -hmm. it. But it, it's strictly a quantity thing. It's taking enough that you guarantee that you're probably going to have one with everybody with a good expression and the eyes open. And, and typically three or four frames in, everybody settles in and relaxes. Yeah. It's never the first one and it's never the last one. It's always one from in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Well, and I, you know, when we were back to shoot, talking about shooting models, I mean, in a sense, were your models in that moment. I, I'm also struck by, and I guess this is because you're a professional, you've been doing it a long time, but I mean, you neither talk too much to the group nor, I mean, you help the group be relaxed. And... Do you think about like what you're going to say coming in, or do you just kind of live that in the moment? It's it's pretty organic. I, it's kind of something just in the moment. Um, I, I guess um, just just thinking that through. Um, going back to the photojournalism background, one of the things you always strive to do is not make yourself a part of the story. So I tend to hang back, and and I, I don't want either people who are posing to be intimidated by, you know, oh, I'm the photographer. And also, especially photographing a vignette or something like that, the best thing I can be is invisible and in the background so that it happens like it normally would. Mm -hmm. So I, I tend to like to sort of stay in the shadows with the camera and let things happen the way they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is, I mean, you, that does seem to be one of the differences that professionals... Because, uh, like, you're around a lot, and I literally ignore you which i sometimes feel rude doing no, but that's I, good but i always that's assume good. he just wants us to be doing what we'd be doing and that's going to give him the best shots of what it actually is so. but it, it's exactly right you know when i worked for the paper and we used to go have to photograph something at a grade school you know uh, classes valentine's day or whatever i would always get there 15 minutes uh, early and get in the room so yep. that by the time the kids forgot about me i could get good you pictures. could get pictures fascinating uh, okay, so we're we're coming towards them, but I got two other little questions that I still want to ask you. Um, so technology, this is like a hundred podcasts right there, uh, but the switch to, to digital, all of the editing software, in general, as you think of of this field, has that made the field better, worse? Has it made your work easier, harder? I mean, just. Talk technology for a minute okay. or two. Well, actually, it, it's made it different, but it hasn't necessarily made it easier or harder. It's made it better in that you don't have your hands in darkroom chemistry. You're not breathing in the fumes of darkroom chemistry. But basically, the photography for me has always been in two stages, what you do with a camera and then what you do with that raw product afterwards to make it a better image. That used to be capturing the image on film and then working it in the darkroom for a print to make the image a better one. Now you capture it on your digital camera and then you import it into software and do the same thing. The function's the same, but the tool is different. There are a lot of people who are completely content with the pictures as they come right out of their camera. And that's not bad, but it's also not the best. That would be the equivalent of taking a roll of film to a 
pharmacy, getting it processed and be happy with whatever their machine mm -hmm. did with your negatives versus taking those negatives to a dark room and then crafting a few of your favorite images yourself. What comes out of a digital camera for me is essentially the negatives that used to come out of a okay. film camera. Okay. They're not complete. They're just the first step. Yep. That's where you start. Uh, again, we won't get, have time to go into sure. many details, but I'm, what's the, what's your initial or primary software that you use? Like a lot of people, um, Adobe Photoshop I've used for a long time. Since I've started shooting raw files with a digital camera, I actually use a software called Capture One Pro, mm -hmm. which is actually about half the cost of Photoshop. Uh, and then I use Photoshop just to fine tune. Uh, Capture One Pro does an excellent job of, convert, of, of file management and working raw files, which is okay. what I use. Yep. So that's, that's actually where your pictures start. Yes, I, I, download, I, I download through Capture One Pro, and then I do all of the main work in that, export them as TIFF files, and then do some final touch-ups on Photoshop. Okay. And uh, this is definitely not designed to be a, a how-to conversation, but uh, I would think the vast majority of people listening take their pictures with their cameras. Uh, Give us two or three tips on how to to produce pictures that we'll want to keep or yeah. or aren't screwed up. I guess at some level. <laughs> well, whether you know whether you're using a camera or a phone, pay attention to the same things. Um, pay attention to where the light is coming from. Uh, pay a special attention to your backgrounds because sometimes when you're focused on your subject, something in the background that may be distracting, you don't notice until you actually look at the image. Okay. Okay. So basically pay attention to the light, pay attention to your backgrounds, and if you have time, work composition a little bit. You know, move in a little closer, look for a slightly lower, slightly higher angle, something that makes it a little more interesting. A lot of the same considerations, you know, apply to both cameras and phones. Okay. Can you say, when you say pay attention to the light, what are the most basic mistakes that somebody like me is going to make with respect to, I mean, I, I know not to point into the light, but beyond right. that, I don't know much um, about light. Well, backlight is, uh, is like you brought up a major problem. If your camera is trying to capture too dark a shadow against too bright a background, that's an issue. A lot of times you can fix that just by turning halfway. That same strong light coming from a side will give dimension to your subject. Okay. And even though half the subject will still be dark, It'll darker. It'll be a more interesting picture. Okay. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, if you're in situations where there's lighting that's very high and up on a ceiling, where your person is is going to either be directly under a light and have long shadows under their nose, or if they back up two feet, all of a sudden the lighting may be a little more pleasant. So, you know, kind of just ask the question before you look through the phone or look through the camera. Okay, where is my light coming from, okay. and what do I want to do with it? Okay, so your three main things would be pay a little attention to your background, mm -hmm. work with your composition right. a little bit, and pay be, attention be to your light issues. Okay, yeah. basic stuff. Cool. Um, you know, I didn't prep you on this, and if you don't have an answer to it, we might add it to the email we sent out. Is there is there like any one website? Uh, that you particularly enjoy, either because of pictures they post or tips that they give? 
And if you don't have one now, maybe we'll pick one I, up I, later I, and we'll I, put I, it on I, the I, podcast email. I probably need to think about that. I, I tend to be a little bit of a Luddite when it comes to uh, okay. the yeah, yeah. There, are, there are a lot of great photography books out there. Um, and I would recommend, you know, go to a bookstore and go to the photography section yeah. and they'll have work both by masters and by people in all different genres. Find a book that's interesting and then take it home and you'd be surprised after looking through that work, you're going to find ways to apply it to your own. Okay, cool. Perfect place to end. Uh, it's been great talking with John and wish we had more time to do it. I hope you enjoyed listening in and join us again soon for another episode of Belief Beat. Thanks very much. Bye for now.